Okay. The song that I'm going to sing for you this morning, um, some of you may have heard it. It was rather popular a couple of years ago. But it's called Oceans. And it's talking about, um, you know, when God calls us to things, as we, as we begin to respond and follow in his leading, at first in our relationship with him, our faith might be a bit small. And we think of um, Peter out on the water and Christ called him. You know, those first few steps were, were a bit shaky, right? But as we continue to respond to God's call and grow in our relationship with him, our faith becomes stronger. And just as with an ocean, with the waves, right? They're sometimes very, very small, but then with strength, they continue to rise as well. So this is called Oceans Where Feet May Fail.
trust is without borders let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me and take me deeper than my feet could ever wander and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. And take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. And my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Ooh. And I upon your name and keep my eyes above the waves my soul will rest in your embrace for I am yours and you Church. Our scripture reading is found, today is found in Hebrews 10, 15 through 18. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now when, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray, shall we? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we open your holy word, we pray for a blessing upon it. We pray, Lord, that the words that are contained in this book will become the standards by which we live. I pray, Lord, that you would use my lips to speak a message to your people. May their hearts and their minds be opened up to receive it, Lord. May they be made ready. I pray, Lord, that we would all be transformed through the power of your word. In Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen. I want to start out this, well, still this morning, by telling you a story about a young teenager. How many teenagers do we have? I'm recycled. Okay. But pay attention, because this is, this is for you guys, as well as everyone else. This message is, is or this story is about a teenager with a heart to help, uh, has that re- she has received a commendation for her efforts, which officials, uh, local officials, say have helped save at least six lives. Say amen to that. Paige Hunter, 18, has written more than 40 heartfelt notes of encouragement, attaching each of them to the railings of the Wearmouth Bridge in North Umbria. And I had to look up where that's at, by the way. I never heard of North Umbria before. It was, it's the, the northern part of, of uh, England where it intersects with Ireland. And so that's where that's at. To provide, so it goes on to say that to provide a critical boost for those who might be in the midst of a mental health crisis. For her work and the impact it's made, Hunter was recently issued an official commendation by the North Umbria Police Force, signed and delivered by the local police chief. The chief of superintendents, um, Sarah Pitt, wrote this. We thought it was important to applaud the work of Paige, uh, the, the work Paige has done, and the help she has given those of Sunderland who are going through a mental health crisis. She goes on to say, Paige has shown an incredible understanding of vulnerable people in need of support. And this is an invitation, uh, uh, sorry, an innovative way to reach out to those in in a dark place. For somebody so young, Paige has shown a real maturity and we thought it would only be right to thank her personally. She should be very proud of herself. Despite the commendation, Paige Hunter is um, taking everything in stride. The 18-year-old sales associate and college student just wanted the attention on people who need help. Very humble, isn't she? She starts... Uh, or she states this, it is important that we encourage people to speak out and raise awareness of mental health issues and the impact on people's lives. I'm going to continue um, delivering a message from the book of Hebrews. Uh, I pointed out to you the last time I spoke with you uh, from this book that, that, that it, it was, we don't know who wrote it, but the, the leading scholars speculated it was Paul. And in the beginning part of the book of Hebrews, um, the, the author presents Christ as being a greater high priest. And here in chapter 10, we pick up in verse 8. I'm going to cover uh, uh, some territory pretty quick here. After saying uh, above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin have not, uh, have not, have you, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I, 
I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this, we will have uh, been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from, the t- from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. I wish I had time to get into that. There's a whole message there. Uh, for by one offering... He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit who testifies to us, to who? To us, for after saying this is covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. Now listen, I will put my laws upon their hearts and on their uh, mind, I will write them. Now that's that's the NASB, but the King James uh, is is similar when it says that I will put my laws into their hearts and uh, in their minds I will write them. But I went to uh, as I was preparing for this message, I, I I like to go to different translations of Scripture, and I, I came across what the Amplified Bible says. The Amplified Bible is a Bible that that adds some information in there to help you understand the text. So the Amplified Bible puts it this way. It says, I will imprint my laws upon their hearts, and I will inscribe them in their minds, uh, on uh, on their inmost thoughts and understanding, it adds. I like that because it says that I will imprint I will imprint my laws upon their hearts. You know, elsewhere in Scripture, God tells us that he desires to take our heart of stone out and replace it with a heart of flesh. Why? Why does God want to do that? I believe it's because of this. Now, my wife, one of the duties she she had when she worked at a law firm was to be a notary public. You guys are familiar with those people? When you have an official document that you need signed, they take, uh, they take their seal and they put it in the, in the document and they, and they sign it, verifying that it was witnessed that it was signed by you. Uh, nowadays, they, I think they just put a rubber stamp on there. It's not, to me, it's not as significant. But think about that when you emboss that paper with that, that official seal. You squeeze it and the seal gets pressed into the paper. Is it easy to get that out of the paper? Could you ever get that out of the paper? You know, I think if even if no matter how many times you ironed it, it's still not going to come out. So what does God say? He says he imprints. He wants to imprint his law in our hearts. And he wants to inscribe it in our minds. Then he goes on to say in verse 17, and their sins, now this is good news, this is the gospel in a nutshell, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, you've got to be excited about that. Isn't that good news today? I mean, in this world of chaos that we live in, death and destruction, 
there's still good news for humanity. I will remember their sins no more. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Why? Because it's already been given. And it's already been forgiven. Then he goes on to say, Therefore, brethren, since we have a confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. I want to go back to where it says confidence. The King James Version, it says boldly. Is that what it says? Anybody got the King James? Boldly? Yeah. Now, when you think about boldly, what do you think about being bold? Is that, is that you know, proud and arrogant, or is it confident? Yeah. You know, I looked up this word this, that's translated boldly, or boldness, in uh, the original language in Greek, and it's parasinia, uh, or parasinia. Uh, uh, and so it means translated courage, but also it could be translated often return. Does that change the meaning for you? Often come into, basically, often come into the presence of God. Now that sounds like to me an invitation. How about you? Does God want us in his presence? Yes, absolutely. That's why Jesus went through what he did on Calvary's cross to open up the throne room of heaven for us. His, the veil of his flesh. He sacrificed. Just like in the temple in his day, the veil was torn asunder from top to bottom. Opening up for us the Holy of Holies. And we enter symbolically and uh, through the work of Jesus Christ into God's presence. And it goes on here in verse 22. It says, let us draw near with a sincere heart. What type? A sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean and conscience uh, and our bodies washed with pure water. And then it says, let us hold fast confession of our hope without wavering. Without wavering. This word confession is homologia. Now, you're getting a Greek lesson this morning. Homologia. I don't expect you to remember these words. <laughs> But it, it, it can also be translated in, in, in a sense of at war, terms of surrender. Have you come to terms for your surrender? Have you come to the point where you, you say to Jesus, you know, I surrender myself to you. I give up. My way isn't working. I don't know about you, but that's happened for me. I tried my way. It didn't work. So I had to come to Christ and I had to say, you know, Lord, forgive me for being so arrogant to think I could live my life the way that I want to live it. Please help me and I'll live it the way that you want me to live it. Have you reached that point yet? You know, it's, it, I, it's an unconditional surrender that God's seeking. Amen? 
Do you have any conditions that you've kept for your surrender? If so, then I don't think you've completely surrendered. Amen? God is wanting from us a complete surrender. So let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So who's the he? You, me, the pastor? What? It's Jesus, isn't it? Did Jesus not prove himself faithful on Calvary's cross? He was faithful even to the death of a cross. Amen? By the way, we don't have time to get into it, but that, I believe, is the cruelest, most torturous way a person can be killed. And Jesus was willing to endure that for us. And let us consider, put our minds to, open our hearts up to the idea of how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Why are you coming to church? What are you here for? Do you realize that this text is what you're supposed to really be doing here? We're supposed to come together and encourage one another in the Lord. Amen? How many of you feel discouraged sometimes this morning? Especially by the world out there. Are you encouraged by what's happening out there? I'm not. Are you encouraged by the way people treat you out there? I'm not. But please, be an encouragement, not a discouragement. Amen? When you come to church, encourage one another in love. We need to love each other more. Amen? Then it says this about our brothers and sisters who we don't see in the pews this morning. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day drawing near. I don't know about you, but I see the day of Jesus' second coming closer and closer by the moment. We should be encouraging one another in that, my friends. And we should be praying for and thinking about people like Mike that are out there. There are people that are members of this church that are on the church records as being members here that haven't attended here in many, many years. They have forgotten or forsaken the assembling of themselves together. Are there only any uh, Lone Ranger Christians? Is that, the Bible doesn't teach that, does it? You know, I've, I've got relatives that I've, I've witnessed to that, that, that are believers. And uh, I can remember specifically one of them telling me, well, my faith is private. I don't talk about it. And I thought, wow, Really? Then you're, then you're forgetting when Jesus says that you're supposed to be my witnesses. Amen? And you can't be a Christian out there all by yourself. Now, the, the, the Bible tells us that Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Does that sound like a good thing? 
Now, this might not mean a whole bunch to you here in Wisconsin, because there's no lions here. But I've been places where there are lions, and the thought of a lion stalking you is horrifying. How would you like a 500-pound beast with huge claws and humongous teeth following you and tracking you down so they can rip you apart? That's what this is talking about. That's exactly what the devil wants to do, my friends. That's exactly what he desires to do. In fact, Christ, what he said to Peter was, the devil desires you to sift you like wheat. I don't know if you can relate to that metaphor here in farm country or not, but that's what he desires. And what prey is it that the devil loves the most? He loves the ones that he can cut out from the crowd. Isolate them. Once you're isolated, the lions have a field day. They feast on you. They also look for the very young. They look for the very old for you gray-haired people that are here today. And they look for those that are sick and weak. Now, there's another animal that I'd like to talk to you about. It's called a muskox. Have you ever heard of that? A muskox? They live up in the Arctic Circle. And they look sort of like a buffalo with pointy horns. And they weigh, uh, I think, somewhere around 1,500 pounds. Okay? And when the wolves come... The wolves are looking for what? What do you think? They're looking for their babies. They're looking for their young ones. They're looking for the sick sick and the weak. But here's an interesting thing that the muskox does when the wolves come around. They gather all the little ones in a group. And you know what the the muskox do? They put their hind ends towards the, the little ones. And they surround them in a circle with their horns facing out. So if a wolf comes around, they've got to go through the adults to get to the kids. Are you with me? My friends, this church is here so that we can strengthen and encourage one another in the Lord. Not to discourage each other, but to strengthen and encourage and defend each other from Satan's attacks. And believe me, once you become a Christian, Satan desires to attack you even more. I can tell you that for certain because I've experienced it. Get baptized. For those of you who aren't baptized yet, get baptized. And you'll find out that Satan doesn't leave you alone because you became a Christian and got baptized. In fact, if anything, he intensifies his attacks to help to discourage you. But what we're here for, what us believers are here for, is to strengthen and encourage one another. And we as Seventh-day Adventists, don't we believe that Jesus is coming back very soon? I, I, I think it's in the name, isn't it? Adventists? Aren't those people that are looking for the soon return of Christ? Then the author here goes on to say that 
For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries, plural. Now let me ask you something, those of you who are into prophecy. God tells us that in the final final conflict between Christ and Satan, that Satan is cast someplace. Does anybody know where he's cast to? Lake of Fire. The Lake of Fire. Does that sound like a pleasant place? If you've ever been burned, you'll know that it's not. But he tells us that the devil and his angels will be cast there. And he also tells us that it has been prepared for them. For them. God has not prepared it for you. He's prepared it for them. But you will also, along with them, be cast into it if you choose the devil's side and not the Lord's. We talked about the last plagues this morning in our Sabbath school lesson. We don't want to throw our lot in with the devil and his angels, do we? I don't think God intended to destroy his creation. In fact, God calls it his strange act. But that's the results. It goes on to say in verse 28, Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. This was breaking of the, of the uh, old law. And so how much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? How do we do that? We do that, my friends, when we accept God's sacrifice through Christ to save us, and then we live like the devil. You know, one of, the, one, of the, uh, one of the commandments tells us not to take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, right? Well, you know, I used to believe that that meant don't, you know, use Jesus' name as a curse word like I heard when I was growing up as a child. Well, it means much more than that. It means that if I proclaim myself to be a Christian and live like the devil, what am I doing? I'm taking his name in vain, am I not? and trampling underfoot the Son of God. Now, in the Middle East, that means a lot. Here, it doesn't mean a whole bunch. But let me tell you, when God declares that he's going to, to make uh, uh, Jesus' enemies his footstool, and that we trample Jesus underfoot when we, when we go on sinning, after we've accepted Christ, it means something. Because in the Middle East... To show you the bottom of my foot is the worst possible insult that I can do to you. You know, there, there, are, there, are, there are certain gestures that can be uh, given here in the United States that are offensive. I won't do any of them. But you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Can I get a witness? But in the Middle East, if I sit 
And I cross my legs in a chair in such a way that you see the bottom of my foot. It's, it's highly insulting. You know why? Because the bottom, the sole of your foot is the lowest place that there is, and it's the dirtiest place because you walk around in those places and you get your feet dirty. And in Jesus' day, we know from the foot washing the types of things that were on people's feet. And they weren't pleasant. We don't want to trample Jesus underfoot. And it goes on to say, and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace. That's the unpardonable sin, isn't it? The blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, rejecting God's efforts to save us through the Holy Spirit. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying, listen, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. When it's, and it's talking about judgment. I'd like to be on the right side of, judge, of God's judgment, having an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, and being covered by his grace and his white robe of righteousness, having mine thrown away. I get Jesus's to cover me. And I get cleansed and absolved of all my sins. My sins become white as snow. Amen? But to be on the other side of the judgment without Christ defending you, what a terrible, terrible thing. But remember, the the former days, when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. Now this is talking about the, the, the Jewish converts that the author of Hebrews was writing to. And he goes on to say, partly, what was the sufferings that they endured? Partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations. Mike, what you did today would put you in a very precarious place back in, in society in that time. It, you could lose your life because of what you did becoming a Christian. And I, and I hate to tell you this, but there's places in this world today that that's still true. You become a, a, a Christian and people find out about it, your life is in danger. I've known some of them from Sri Lanka and from India and other places. You literally have to be an undercover Christian because your life is in danger. But they endured these reproaches and these tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. So even if they weren't treated that way, they went alongside them and, 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 and encouraged them, strengthened them. Amen? And so they, they were persecuted because of association. How, how many of you are familiar with guilt by association? Does that, that doesn't happen in the United States. That never happens, Right? For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted full, uh, joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Now, my friends, 
That may happen again in the future. These believers were willing to do that. Are you willing to lose all of your possessions for Christ? I mean, what, what do you have that's worth losing eternity? What is it that you possess? Hang on to more than eternity in Christ's kingdom. Is there anything? Are you willing to set it all aside? Jesus was. Think about it. He came here, he gave up all of heaven, where he was worshipped and glorified day and night by the holy angels in a perfect environment. And he came to this place. And he endured all the things that he did on your behalf. He gave them all up. He gave up all of that for you. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what he promised. In verse 39, it says this, but we are not of those who shrink back. Amen? To destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. I'd like to close with this thought. It is not news, it's not a news flash that friends make us happy. But uh, Mel Iksha Demer, PhD professor at uh, Northern Arizona University, has drilled down to reveal exactly what about friendship warms our hearts. It turns out that companionship, that is simply doing things together, is the component of friendship that most makes us happy. Just doing stuff together. And the reason friends make us happy, Dittmer has concluded, is that they make us feel that that we matter. Come to church. I hope you feel and know that you matter. You matter to God enough for him to send his son to die for you. And I hope, I hope that my church members are demonstrating to you that you matter to them as well. Encourage one another, my friends. What Jesus tells us in John 13, 35 is this. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If, if you have love for one another. If anything can be said about the Seventh-day Adventist Church, I hope and pray it is that we love each other. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I see unbelievers out there caring for one another and demonstrating love for one another. Lord, sometimes I don't see it in your house. I pray that you forgive us for that, Lord. I pray that you forgive us of the times where we're short with one another, that we're not patient and loving enough. I pray, Lord, that you'll teach us 
that we might demonstrate to the world that the, the reason why we can be identified as Christians is because of our great love one for another. Lord, I know that that's only possible by the power of your Holy Spirit and a converted heart. So I pray, Lord, that you will convert my heart as well as everyone's here, that we might live out that message and demonstrate to the world that you are more powerful and you have overcome the world. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.